Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Reaching the Summit podcast. My name is Todd Buckingham. I am one of your hosts, and I can be found on Twitter at ReachSummitPod. And I'm Zach Dosh. You can find me on Twitter at Zachary Dosh. Merry Christmas, everyone. And I'm Greg Steeman. I am on Twitter at Greg Steeman. So to start out this week's episode, I wanted to talk about something unique. South Dakota State last played on December 12th and is not scheduled to play until January 8th, which isn't even the start of conference play. They have that first weekend of conference play off. Uh, so my first question with that is, any news f- from either of you? Have you heard anything on anything else getting scheduled? I have not. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if something pops up, even you know against a lower-level team. Um, but at this point, I haven't heard anything formal. I haven't either, to be honest with you. And I think that's, uh, you know, my guess is we wouldn't see anything before Christmas. Their goal would be with that open weekend, the bye weekend to start the conference season. Could they get a game, you know, or two in there? Uh, I have to believe that's their goal. And and with the, the Northern Sun also scheduled to, to pick up after, you know, the new year, is that something that might be an option for one of the Division Two teams? I don't know. Uh, that would be willing to to, to play uh, an exhibition on their schedule, maybe, but uh, something that South Dakota State could certainly take advantage of. So we'll see what happens. I'm sure they're they're looking. If if nothing else, uh, we've seen that um, it can be a, a two or three day window, and and uh, p- teams will agree to play. So I think that's going to be interesting to see if that does play out for South Dakota State, because honestly, I think they need a game. And I'll 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 just say this: I think they need a game especially if uh, Coach Henderson wants to sit Friedel out, you know, from a suspension standpoint or anything along those lines. But uh, so it'll be interesting to see if it pl- how it plays out. I think it's a good idea to, you know, give everybody a chance to regroup a little bit. Um, so they're going to have to try to walk that fine line between getting a chance to regroup and also staying sharp. Uh, it wouldn't surprise I mean, I don't even know what the how, it, you know, if it's possible to do like a scrimmage. You know, I suppose you could scrimmage whenever you want, I think. Um, but just it, that you, you're right. I mean, it, two weeks is pretty unprecedented, but at the same time, we are going through an unprecedented situation and we are coming off a, a little bit more of a hectic non-conference schedule than normal. Um, just the fact that these teams aren't playing really any home games. So they're pretty much just all on the road. And so they, these guys have been road warriors and of course adhering to the COVID protocols and all this and that, I know it's, it's taken a big toll on, on a lot of people. We've seen a lot of major programs, hit the pause button a little bit for at least a week or two. So, you know, um, it's definitely unprecedented. Um, It's good that they've got a bunch of games under their belt. But, uh, you know, really to me, it's up to these coaches who have the finger on the pulse of their team. You know, only Mm -hmm. these coaches know if they need to play, if they need to rest, what do they need to do. You know, certain teams are more experienced than others. So it's it's really going to be on the coaches to really figure out what's best for their team at this point. So you guys talked about this a little bit already, but what are the positives and negatives to going basically three weeks to almost a month and four days short of a month of not playing? Well, I would say, um, you know, getting people healthy, to be honest with you, you know, is there, uh, you you know, whether it's Douglas Wilson at South Dakota state, you're able to uh, get him off his feet as much as possible. And I think they've been kind of monitoring that even up to this point with practice and and, uh, limiting 
you know, his time on the floor. And I don't know if his injury is going to be uh, one of those that, because the thing that held him out of the Dakota showcase was the thing that held him out of the end of the conference season the previous year. And so how, how reliable and how much can they count on his availability throughout the course of the, the conference season as they begin it after the first of the year. So I think health is certainly um, uh, the number one positive of, of not having games, but not being able to play, not, not knowing, you know, what's going to get exposed by the opponent and things like that. That's always a, a little bit of a concern for coaches moving forward, but Zach's talked about it and both of you have mentioned it. Th- these are just unique times. And so you make the best of uh, the opportunities that you have in front of you. I think these coaches are, are all really going to embrace this time to actually work with their team a little bit, because many times when the season starts, even from the first game, it's like getting on a roller coaster, right? And you can't get off and you have to go down the track you're on and there's not much you can do about it. And, uh, you know, sometimes you have a good time and sometimes you don't. Um, but it's very rare that you actually get a chance to really work with your team and improve, especially during the year, because, you know, Greg knows this. Once the season starts, your practices are very different. If you're playing two, three games a week, um, they're probably not as intense as you'd like. They're probably not as long as you'd like. And uh, my guess is a lot of these these coaches are kind of going back to square one with just some skill development, things like that. Um, but also it's, it's given them a chance to really get a view of what their team truly is and then maybe make some scheme adjustments to what best fits their team. Because a lot of times, like I said, once the season starts, you know, if things start going sideways, they don't really have a whole lot of time to be able to correct it, at least practice time anyway. They have to just basically get ready for the next game and the next game and the next game. You know, they're so busy working in their team, they don't have a chance to work on their team. So um, I, I just I, I think this coach are really going to embrace it. I, I think it's I'm glad it's happening. Um, I'm not surprised that it seems to be somewhat intentional that it's happening, you know, especially for this next week or so. And so maybe the, the players can have a chance to get home, just, you know, take a take a break here. Because, again, once this conference season starts, you know, there's no coming up for air for about a month or two here. So it's probably not a bad idea to catch our breath a little bit here. Yeah, that makes some sense. And, and just in the meantime, Eric Henderson did respond to a text and said they are, you know, if possible, trying to get something you know, on the, on that first weekend, a uh, non-conference, but um, you know, you just, they just don't know they're, they're working on it. Who knows if they'll come up with something. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of division two head coaches about that. And um, you know, one of the barriers is, is obviously the different testing schedules. They're not exactly on the same testing schedule, but you know, if a, if a division two school wanted to get on the same testing schedule, which it really isn't that, uh, that drastic, they could have a nice run of games here um, and it could really benefit them uh, going into this uh, Northern sun season. I'm not sure on what the rules are on that, what the, what the agreement has been within the Northern sun, for example. Um, but uh, it's, it's, there's a lot of games to be had if, if you can comply, if you can afford it and get on the same schedule. Yeah. And if it's a one-time thing, my guess is, you know, a, a Northern sun school could probably, adhere to the, the necessary protocols for, for a one game, you know, uh, yeah, whatever it might be. So it'll be interesting. My guess is South Dakota state would really like to get something that opening weekend prior to jumping into conference play. Mm-hmm. Well, and Zach, as you were saying that I, I thought about, and I don't know that this has probably been out there for a while, but I just heard how long big 10 teams have to wait. If there's a positive test 
for that player to play 21 days. And I think they just reduced it to 17. It's even amazing how different the test, the testing schedule in different conferences in division one are. Yeah. You know, and it, it did, it it also depends on your conference and it depends on, you know, whether Ohio state football is involved, right. You know, if (laughs) if Ohio state football is involved, all these, these rules don't matter. And we just do what we want. So they're going to shorten to four days. If they, I'll, I'll rein it in here. I'll take that offline. Um, a lot going on in the college football world here, but I will not derail this podcast. I promise myself. <laughs> you got really close to it, Zach. I just that I that thought about it. Started coming out. <laughs> I thought about it. You know, and you know, I'm just gonna. Yeah. That was talk done. about. Got to leave it alone. Got to leave it alone. Yep. You're okay. Yeah. I just. I it's so tempting. I got to do it, but I, I just got to leave it alone. I, I wasn't setting it on a T for you, I promise. <laughs> oh, I sure felt like it to me, but that's fine. I appreciate that. I like taking the cheese now, every now and then. So so the next topic I wanted to talk about, it, it's not necessarily the game. Omaha lost a close game to, to Wyoming, 82-78. Uh, but something that I found fascinating, Wanyang Tut, 27 points, 9 rebounds, 4 blocks. And, and Zach, I don't know if you were involved a couple of years ago when he was a freshman with, with UND, but he had averaged three points a game. And in the first round of the summit league tournament, put 18 points on North Dakota. And I was there with my son during that. And it, it, so my question is here, here's a guy who from time to time will just have these monster games and then go back to his averaging seven points a game. Have either of you ever played with or coached a player like that? And what do you do to try to get more of those performances and less of the seven points per game? Well, I, I think the big thing is obviously he plays with Matt Pyle and, and Matt Pyle is, is usually the focal point taking a lot of the playing time. You know, it's you can't take him off the floor. Sure. And so, you know, as a second post, you're, you're kind of beholden to the game plan and what the defense is trying to do to you. Right. I, mm-hmm. I think in a lot of ways, I would kind of liken his role to sort of that Matt Detlinger role. Quite honestly, you know, I mean, there's some games where Matt Dellinger, he may not score. And that's not because he didn't play well. That's just sort of his role in the offense and the way that the defense decided to guard uh, SDSU as, as a whole. And so, you know, he's he's largely beholden to what the guards do, what the game plan is, what his opponent is trying to do. But he stays ready. He stays ready. And that's what impresses me. There's a lot of guys that would pout. There's a lot of guys that would feel sorry for themselves, things like that. He's clearly not one of them, and neither is Matt Detlinger. And those guys are so valuable, uh, especially when you're paired with a like a like a big name guy like a Matt Pyle or Douglas Wilson. So I have a lot of respect for those types of guys, the you know type of people that just take care of themselves and and play their role and understand their role and and just do nothing but help the team. Yeah, and I, I think Zach brings up a, a good point. A lot of it comes down to you know Darren Hanson's style has always been to have that that one big and surround them with four perimeters and spacing and, and play with pace and, and uh, you know, uh, try to create a high possession game. And right now I, I'm guessing that, you know, they, he has that type of output against a Wyoming. And then just a few days earlier against Colorado has, you know, six points, four fouls and in one rebound in 18 minutes uh, against Colorado. Now Colorado is a little higher level team. And at the same time, I'm, you know, Going back to your initial question, you know, what are coaches doing these do doing during these times? I think you really evaluate your own team. You become hypercritical of your own team. And, and I don't mean that from a negative standpoint, saying, how can we be, 
you know, the most productive, you know, how can we get our most productive group on the floor? And, and South Dakota State has been exceptional playing three out, two in with Wilson Dentlinger. And, uh, and then when, when, when Wilson's out, they, they bring Winget in and, and probably play more four out, one in, but they've got so much experience on the perimeter with Arians um, and, uh, and the other guys, you know, the other perimeters, Shireman and, and uh, um, for God's sakes, uh, Friedel. But that they're so good at, at spacing the floor, it comes down to maybe just forming an identity for your team. Are, are we better, you know, playing pile and tut and focusing on a three out, two in action and uh, because actually, you know, t- uh, Pyle has kind of struggled early in the season as well, you know, putting up mm-hmm. that production. And I don't know if he's spending way too much time on that 398 GPA or, or if he's, I say that jokingly, I'm, I'm joking. The kids, yeah, get him uh, out of that library. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, the kid's been just absolutely amazing in the classroom and on the court throughout his career. But this might be one of those things where Darren Hansen's saying, how do we utilize Pyle and Todd at the same time, surround him with the, with, with the most productive group. So I think it really comes back to coaches during this time of uncertainty, not being able to schedule or even being able to count on playing scheduled games. How do we, you know, become the, the team that we think we can be the most successful with. So it's going to be interesting to see moving forward, how coach Darren Hansen handles that. If there's anybody in the league that can do it, Darren Hansen can. Yeah. I think this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. You know, what do, what do teams do during this time? And I think a lot of time, you know, th- there's a lot of self-scouting going on right now. And Greg is right. I mean, it, Omaha historically has liked to play, a, you know, a higher possession game, a little more up-tempo, a little more guard-dominated. Um, but if they're realizing the best version of themselves may be Tut and Pyle on the, fl- on the floor at the same time, that's definitely going to take a little time to get used to. It's going to take some practice time. Um, but it's a nice angle to have. It's a nice angle to have because, you know, you think about it, I, I think that's probably a little bit more skilled on the block in terms of scoring. Matt Pyle is obviously more of a rebounder. It could be very nice compliments, and it could be a nice little angle there if it's not going to be their guard play this year. So um, it's, I'm really curious to see how they evolve, and it's really a sign of a great coach who doesn't try to force things, right? He just tries to find out what's the best form of this team and then stick to that, and that may be what's happening here. Well, and congratulations to Matt Pyle. He went over a thousand points this week. Um, so certainly a testament to his ability to put the ball in the basket. Yep. Uh, wanted to mention that as well. And one of the things I was only listening to the game, but it was impressive. You know, once Tut started scoring, I mean, you heard his name every time down the court that they were, they were focusing on getting him the ball and just letting him go to work. I mean, he added four blocks as well. He just had a very impressive game against a Wyoming team they were supposed to lose to pretty badly by Vegas standards and were in it till the very end. Yeah, he, he's efficient on the block. He gets it. He goes. He uses the glass. He uses good positioning. You know, I'm guessing he goes against Matt Pyle every day in practice. So, you know, iron sharpens iron uh, would be my guess. And um, he, he's, he's a good player. I mean, he's he's play, played plenty of basketball. He's a guy you can trust he's efficient down there. He's, you know, that, that's a, that's a big value to a team that may be struggling to score like they've always have. The next thing I wanted to talk about was North Dakota lost in back-to-back games against Southern Illinois, who I don't believe have lost yet this year. Uh, one of the questions I had with that, do either of you know, was this purposely scheduled this way to, to prepare for conference play and does it help? Yeah, I think it, it, it was both. Um, 
I think they scheduled it with the idea of trying to simulate what the conference play is going to be like this year. Um, and then also just to get more games, yeah, you know, so it's, it's right. kind of a, a multifaceted benefit to, to playing the, this, this type of setup uh, against a good opponent, quite frankly. Um, so yeah, they, they went down to Southern Illinois, you know, played pretty well. Um, you know, th- this is, it's, it's really hard to simulate. Now, I know we talked, we've been talking about a lot this year about, you know, don't take for granted these games on back-to-back days and that, you know, it's, it's going to go swimmingly because it's difficult. It's, it's just, it's not so much of a physical thing as it is. It's just, how do you stay absolutely mentally locked in for two games in two days? And I think we kind of saw UND kind of coming in and out of being mentally locked in, you know, they were for some, some time, um, you know, they, they tried to work into Sean Allen Eikens back in the lineup a little bit, played a little bit the first game, not nothing the second game. Um, so, you know, didn't win, but I'm really hoping they took away a lot of, uh, learning points from this, this trip, just in terms of logistically, you know, how, like, what does our rotation look like? How do we feel? What does shooter on look like? How do we space out our meals? You know, basketball players are, they're largely a creature of habit. They like doing the same things over and over. And so if they can try to get into a rhythm before this conference tournament starts, maybe they can get off to a quick start. They have some winnable games right off the bat. I agree with you. I think it was probably, uh, it was, out of necessity because both teams wanted games. And it's one of those things where you're probably on the phone scheduling. And, I, and I'm saying this you know, completely from a position of ignorance, which is the position that I'm, I'm used to being in. But, you know, when they're talking about, hey, do you guys want to play a game? And Southern Illinois is saying, yeah, but, you know, are you willing to play two? You know, and all of a sudden, Paul Sather's probably thinking, yeah, let's, let, let's go down there and do the, the back-to-back routine and, and see how we can adjust to it, see what works well, see what doesn't work well and, uh, and utilize it to our advantage the best way we can. I know every summit league team wants to go out and win every non-conference game. I agree with you. Um, we all think that and, and every coach wants that at the same time, the ultimate goal right now for every summit league team is to say, how do we put ourselves in the best position to be um, uh, successful during the most unique conference season that we've ever experienced, which is, either playing at home back-to-back against the same team or going on the road and doing it. So let's take this experience and, and learn as much as we can from it. Um, yeah, we'd like to win the games, but at the same time, what we want to do more than anything is prepare ourselves and prepare our teams for what we're about to experience in this upcoming conference season. So I think that was one of those things that it wouldn't shock me at all if it was a decision that was made on the fly and both teams benefited from it because they both got two games when they probably had to you know, reschedule or cancel some games that were previously on the schedule. So I think it's one of those things that, that Paul Sather will certainly use to his advantage for his group. There was a, you know, one quick thing I, I noticed that, um, so I know I had a really nice big guy, you know, uh, really, really thick, kind of light on his feet. And he's from Canada, actually not too far from Grand Forks. And they're talking about, you know, hopefully there's a return game, things like that. I actually, we, we went up and played University of Manitoba, like I think it was University of Manitoba one time and the game started off and I shot a little jump hook. It bounced on the rim. It was going to go in. They jumped up and they knocked it off the rim and they went on the other end and laid it up. And we all kind of stopped. Like we thought it was goaltending. We, it was actually international rules and we, nobody told us. And so that, that was kind of my welcome to Canada moment. They play international rules up there. So if we see them goaltend, I guess we'll know why. Yeah. He was Manitoba player of the year, I believe. And so, yeah, one of those, and, and more and more teams are going up to Canada to get players. We've seen Kansas do it and, and uh, mm-hmm. a number of teams do it, but yeah, that's interesting. Um, you need to, you need to, 
get on your head coach about that, that he didn't inform you you were playing international rules up there. Well, yeah, I'm just, I'm just happy we got there in time for the start of the game. You know, that was kind of, <laughs> kind of one of those situations, but yeah. Well, and they said on the broadcast, I forget the guy's name, but they had said on the broadcast that UND was in the running for that, that freshman as well. That wouldn't surprise me. I guess, you know, they, they knew about him. They were very aware of him. Um, he's a nice player. He's a big guy. He's a big, yeah. big guy. I mean, he's, yeah. Yeah. Nobody was moving him around on the block. No. That was for sure. No. Uh, speaking of the block, I did want to talk a little bit about one of the things that came out of those two games. Rebracha had six shots in one game and 10 shots in the other. They're basically throwing half the team at him as soon as he got the ball. How does UND win, given that's probably going to be a de- defensive approach that happens to them pretty often this season? We've already seen it a few times and definitely saw it in those Southern Illinois games. Well, it seemed like, you know, Southern Illinois, they were much more aggressive with their help side defense. Um, they were getting way away from the guy that they were defending and, and into the paint and, and doing a good job of clogging up the lanes, things like that. And, um, you know, defenses have to give up something, right? You know, either, they, either they're passive or they're aggressive or whatever, and you can use whatever they're trying to do to you against them. So in, in that situation, when you're really aggressive, and of course, UND knows this, that they... I mean, you could tell that they were actually trying to do this. They just hadn't had a whole lot of practice with it. Uh, but you, you could tell that the, the coaching staff w- was talking to them about this. But, you know, if if there's a lot of help side being given, you know, the skip pass, turn and seal, and then just a touch pass into the post is really what you have to do. You can't, you know, mm-hmm. when, when UND was going wrong, it was when they'd get a catch, they'd think about it, they'd look, they'd, they'd try to decide what they'd want to do, and then they'd make a decision, you know, but when you get the defense moving with the skip passes, you need to make a quick decision and Philip would have been able to get some quick layups. So I think it was very good that they were able to go against the defense like this because they hadn't really gone against a defense that was quite like this yet. You know, Philip's been double a lot and that's kind of one thing, but to give pretty much an extreme amount of help defense was really a new thing. And um, I think they're glad they went against it just because it's, it's hard to simulate and um, they, they, they did kind of struggle with it. They, they kind of struggled with it. You could tell that they knew what they were trying to do, but they just couldn't do it really well, and that's what the non-conference is for. So if this ever happens to them again, they're in a much better position to be able to take advantage of it because you can really take advantage of the over-aggressive nature of a defense like that. Yeah, those, are, those are some really good points, Zach, and I agree with you. The other thing that you might look at, is especially with the way Robracha has, has extended his range on the offensive end, don't be surprised to see them start Phillip on the perimeter a little bit more, maybe get him in, involved in some ball screen action, and then having him dive to the rim. When he starts on the block, it's easier for the half-court defense to kind of set up around him and, and understand, all right, I'm, I'm digging down on the backside. You know, I'm going to go hard double from this position. Uh, because a lot of teams will double Philip until North Dakota finds that, you know, one or two consistent perimeter threats that can continue to space the floor and you can't afford to help off of. So I think it, it gives a, a coach like, you know, Paul Sather, who I think is as good as any coach in the league when it comes to scheming. Um, it, it's, it's one of those things where he goes, okay, it's, it's a challenge for him. Now, how do I find a way to use my best player in the most um, effective way possible. Because the other thing about Rebracha is, he, is he, he's extremely adept at facilitating and passing out of double teams and making his teammates better. Um, I think as, as this team grows offensively and they find some more offensive options and as Deshaun Allen Eikens becomes 
um, uh, more and more healthy. I think it's something that they can use. I agree with you, Zach. You know, it's it's a great learning experience to see different ways that teams will attack uh, North Dakota defensively. Because don't think for a second that there aren't other Summit Leagues going, how are they so effective on Nebraska? Let's look at that. Let's do that ourselves. It's going to be a right. chess match between coaches, and, and it's going to be a lot of lot. It's going to be very enjoyable to watch it all unfold. How these different coaches um, put their teams in the best position to be successful. Well, and Greg, you brought up Alan Eikens, and from what I saw in those two games, he was back and playing again, but not back to the same person prior to being injured. So that will make a big difference as well. It really will. It's one of those things that we talked about earlier. The the long break. Uh, one of those things where you go, all right, we know what he's capable of. Let's not rush him. You know, let's get him as close to 100% as we possibly can before we start the conference season. I'm really curious to see what they go for in terms of a lineup when he comes back. I could see them. I mean, I, I don't know that you can take Xavier Sims out of the starting lineup. He's playing yeah. really well. Uh, very versatile on defense. I could see them going with Deshaun Allen Eikens and Savian Sims and Phil Paracha and taking Mitchell Sucre out of the starting lineup. Um, you know, but we'll see. It certainly gives them a lot of flexibility, which is something they really didn't have last year. I agree. I, I, go ahead. Ayanacho is going to be a really good player too. It, yeah. So it, it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. He's, it's almost like he doesn't realize how athletic he is. Right. You know, I mean, you could see that like there's some times where he'll just go by somebody with a step or two and it's like, wow, you know, and it's, it's like, you can tell, you know, usually when freshmen come in, they're a little, uh, I don't want to say apprehensive, but a little passive because they're like, man, I'm playing with all these like juniors and seniors. And I need to get them the ball. And then eventually they kind of figure out, and it wouldn't surprise me if it starts to happen this year that, Hey, the more aggressive that I am, the more it gets, my teammates because I draw more attention from the defense and I think he's going to be great at drawing attention because they're going to know their teams that are playing against him are going to have no choice but to give him a lot of help defense because he's going to be able to get past his primary defender and it's going to leave several open shots for everybody on the wings and and obviously UND is a much better shooter this year so I think the more aggressive he is the better UND is going to be. Yeah, he's, he's an extremely talented freshman. Uh, Ian Acho is one of those guys that right now during this break, you're saying, uh, get in, let's get up 500 shots a day. The, yeah. He can be a, a threat from the perimeter, at least someone that you have to close out aggressively on. Uh, he's, he's really going to help this team. Um, and I'm going to go back to what you talked about earlier. I love what Sims brings to that. The versatility that Sims brings on both ends of the floor. I like his ability to knock down uh, the three. He's got a soft touch from behind the arc. And his uh, versatility in the defensive end is uh, is something that Paul Sather is really going to take advantage of. So I, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of potential for Paul Sather. His job is to unlock it as they step into conference season. Well, and unrelated to North Dakota, I did want to talk about a very unique scheduling thing that happened this week. Kansas City in a doubleheader against a team that was clearly overmatched. I think they the highest half that that Kansas City Christian had was 24 points, but they played an actual doubleheader on the same day. Have either of you done that <laughs> at the D2 level? No. no. I, I, yeah. I could not. Yeah, I, you know, we're, we're talking about games on back-to-back days are extreme already. Right. Um, <laughs> doubleheaders in the same day. Did, did they both count as wins, like, like actual wins? They. 
I think they're four and four, and I don't think they've beaten a division one opponent. So they at least on have. ESPN yeah. or whatever, it's I, four and four. I whatever that means. But. I've I've played in games where, and I I only really found out about this until after the game. Again, like you're saying, Greg, being informed um, is I've had it been where it's an exhibition for one team, but an actual a game that counts for another. Greg, have you had any of those either? Yeah, yeah, that, that happens, yeah. And especially when you get NAI teams involved because they can play exhibition games any time throughout the course of their season. Yeah. Um, but I think Brad Newitt said it best <laughs> in a response to a tweet where he goes, um, pool play, we're going to play on court three at noon and play on court four at five o'clock. You know, that's what it probably threw a lot of these kids back to was their AAU days right. playing, you know, multiple games on one day. So. I just thought it was an interesting concept, and I'm sure Kansas City's thought, sole thought was, if we can get two games on one day against an inferior opponent, let's do it. That way, we're not, we're we're, we're lessening our chance that we won't have the minimum number uh, needed. It, should we be able to get to the NCAA tournament? Yeah, they might be a trivia question a few years down the road. <laughs> yeah, so. I agree. So just yeah. imagine us nailing that question just out of yep. nowhere. About yeah, 50 I know exactly people. what game we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Three people in the world that can answer that question. Yeah. Right. Let's hope if I'm ever on Jeopardy, it'll be something yeah. like that. So I wanted to talk about South Dakota. Uh, they, we remember back last week uh, when we talked about them beating South Dakota State in, in the Dakota Showcase, and then they got beat pretty badly by Drake. Um, so an overall question that we've already answered, and maybe it's just saying the same question again, but which version of this team is the real one, or is it both of those? Well, I think everybody's really interested in seeing what this answer is. Um, I think they're trying to answer that question themselves. Um, you know, they are dangerous, man. They, we saw exactly in that Dakota showcase, and that's maybe the most important facet of this team, is they actually do have a high ceiling. You know, there's some yeah. of these other teams kind of in that middle group who – you know, they're good, but their ceiling is their ceiling is about as high as, as as any team because they have the player that can go win a game by themselves. There's really, you know, maybe one or two other players in the conference that can literally win a game by themselves, and they have them. And so starting there, you got to feel good about it. And now it's just about getting everybody else to settle in their roles. So they're going to be interesting. Regardless of how the regular season goes, nobody wants to see them in the conference tournament. I know that for a fact, everybody's going to be holding their breath until that game's done. Um, you know, because Stanley Muda is a game wrecker. So uh, I don't know. It, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to see just how fast they, they develop that identity throughout the course of this conference season. Yeah. You, you hit on it. Amude is clearly a, you know, an all league player and all league talent, uh, amazingly versatile scores at all three levels um, behind the arc, mid range around the basket ability to put it on the floor and one of those guys that, um, as South Dakota State found out, they can he can just absolutely tear you apart any given night. I love A.J. Plitzaway, the transfer from Augustana that sat out last season. Uh, this kid is really good. This kid is an exceptional. He is a he is the, the prototypical point guard who has the ability to make his teammates better, uh, can move defenders with his eyes, and knows exactly where he's going to go with the ball. Um, I, I really like him, and, and, and the kid's got some, uh, some some toughness, and you can tell he's a coach's kid. Don Plitzaway, the women's coach at USD, um, this this kid knows how to play the game. The key for South Dakota State is who can be that third and or fourth option. We saw uh, Archambault 
and and you know Russ Archambault for people that uh, remember the Gophers, and then I think ended up at Huron uh, College. Um, amazing uh, offensive player, and I believe played in Bismarck back in the day. Uh, so um, the, the kid, uh, you know, showed some moxie. He's got the ability to knock down perimeter shots. Can he do it on a consistent basis? And then can they develop one or two others? Got a couple of JUCO kids out of Arizona who I think can also develop. So this is really a blank canvas for USD. They, they've got their anchors with the Mude and Plitzelwhite. Who are the guys that they can groom to become, you know, uh, those consistent offensive contributors and at the same time not give up too much on the defensive end? So agree with you, a high ceiling for USD. Can they get there? That's going to be a challenge for the coaching staff. Well, and one of the challenges for USD, really no one has stepped up down low to help out. You, and you can't say that with most of the other teams in the Summit League. There's some definitely some shooters that can go off, but there's just not that guy that you can, can get rebounds, make some easy baskets down low, or at least hasn't come up yet. Yeah, they, I mean, they're, they're, the, the two guys that I've been kind of going back and forth with is, is Costa Comateros and, and Brady Hyman, I believe. I think I have those yeah. names right. Um, and yeah, they're um, two very different players. Uh, neither one has really established themselves yet. Um, both, I think, are capable, um, but you know, both have some faults too. And so, I think which you know, it, it's going to be kind of on a night-to-night basis, I think. And they're just going to kind of rotate them in and out. Um, they're going to have to battle. Uh, I, I I think they're fairly well coached in terms of they know what they need to do. It's just can they do it consistently? I think both those guys are a little inconsistent at this point. Um, but you're right. They need to be, they have a big role because they need to take the pressure off of Stanley Amude. If, if they can, you know, maybe not have a, a premier matchup on Stanley Amude, at least for the entire game, you know, down the stretch, you probably want it. But if they can take some pressure off him and he can use some of his energy on the offensive end, and then, you know, once you get to the last five minutes, all bets are off. I think that's important. But uh, you're right. They, they, they did struggle guarding the post at the Dakota Showcase. Yeah, I'll, I'll go. I'll just kind of add on to what you said, Zach. You made a lot of great points. Uh, Hyman's kind of the guy that starts the game. He's not any type of physical presence, and I, I don't know that he's really an offensive uh, go-to person. Comateros has some versatility, demonstrated the ability to step out and shoot it a little bit, a little bit undersized. The kid that intrigues me the most is is Nikola Zizic, um, uh, 6'11", out of Montenegro. Uh, I He's... He's he's got a, a great looking body. It'd be great if they could find a way to develop him. So between those three, they've got to find a way to get some consistency uh, in the post where they can take some pressure off some of the other players. I think that's where they are the weakest when you look at, um, as as you referred to, Todd. So many, you know, last year was was a was those those mature perimeter players. This year, it's the good bigs, you know, with the. Um, you know, the, the guys at so many levels, you know, we talked about Philip up at UND. We talked about the, the duo at SDSU and, uh, and North Dakota state with their inside presence. So I think when you look at the best teams, um, there's some, there's some, there's some, there's some maturity inside USD does not have that right now. I could see them rolling with Zizic. It's a good thing that you mentioned that, you know, eat it. Cause we just haven't seen a lot of them, but when he's out there, you just, you know, you, I think he probably passes the eyeball test and it may be a situation where like if neither one of those other two are really taking the role and running with it and, and solidifying it, 
maybe they invest some some playing time in him and just see what they have, you know, if, if they don't see much of a downside. I don't know. It, it's something to watch, though, because they're going to have to have an answer for that to get through this conference. Well, and lo- one last question that's semi-related to USD and just the amount that uh, Amude is is used. You go over to Denver and, and Jace Townsend and kind of the same thing. So they built a 19-point lead at the half against um, Texas State and lost that lead in the first 13 minutes of the, or sorry, seven minutes of the second half. Um, so it evaporated really quickly and they ended up losing at the buzzer. One of the things that I noticed, and again, I was just listening to the game, but Townsend didn't take a ton of shots in the first half, still had 13 points, but was extremely efficient. And then the second half, it was all Townsend trying to, especially when the pressure got put on, it, it's interesting to watch these teams that rely so heavily on one person. It just seems like they're typically inconsistent because they don't have those other players to back them up, so to speak. It, it, am I accurate there, or is that, do you guys see that a little differently? Well, it's you know it's one of those things that if you have, it, it, it's it's all about the surrounding pieces, in my opinion, because it, it all depends on how much attention you can attribute to that star player. If you can attribute, if you can bring a double at him. You know, almost no player can can consistently beat a double. Uh, but it's it's just all about you know the third, fourth, and fifth best players on Denver, and how straight up the defense has to play them. I don't know. It, it's hard to say. You know, again, I don't want to get too carried away. We've talked about the just our inability to watch them. Really, I mean, just even to get access to their games. Really, at this point, and so we're just trying to read the tea leaves a little bit. But um, how yeah, they I get the- him the ball? You know, how they get him the ball? How do they? what positions they put him in, um, you know, do they want him on the ball? Do they want him off the ball? I mean, I just, that, that's, that's definitely a question for coach Billups. That's probably the crux of their offensive game plan. Well, I, I'm in agreement. You need to have multiple options. And, and I think that what we saw in, in Denver is the perfect example from last year, they had Townsend, they had Murky. They could never find that consistent third option. And right now, you know they have Townsend, they have Jones, and 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 he's got to he's got to be able to stay on the floor and avoid foul trouble. And I think you referenced that in previous podcasts, Todd. I just that their inability to find consistent production from other positions on the floor is what's going to be their hindrance. You know, you talked about the difficulty in their loss against Texas State. You know, when they lost at at you know versus Northern Colorado, Townsend has you know, 33 points on 18 field goal attempts. That's pretty darn impressive, but you can't count on that every night. You've got to have other people stepping up. And so outside of Jones, who are their other options going to be? You know, whether it's a a Sam Hines, whether it's a Frank Ryder, whoever might be, if you don't have it on a consistent basis, Denver is the perfect example to show that you can't find a way to compete consistently in the Summit League. Yeah, I just wanted to bring that up. I, I think it's a theme that a few teams are dealing with, and and it makes sense that they would be relatively inconsistent because you just, like Zach said, it's it's too easy to double someone and at least take them somewhat out of the game if they don't have someone else that can kind of pick up the the load, so to speak. The la- kind of on to the actually the last thing I had to talk about today, and that happened just today. Oral Roberts had a ten point lead at Arkansas, ended up losing by eleven, but were within a couple possessions uh, are at with about a minute left. So it, it kind of got away at the very end. Um, one of the things I wanted to bring up to Weaver, I think finished with 14 points. I don't have it in front of me here. 
but I was impressed. He he battled down low against an Arkansas team that is big, long, athletic. And so that was impressive. And it was just nice to see him back at least competing. Doesn't seem to have the same burst and the same athleticism that he had pre-injury, which maybe isn't shocking, but it also felt like he was trying to remake his game almost into more of a post or low, um, low post player that also can step out and hit three point shots. Well, he's probably going to have a couple inches on whoever guards him. Right. Probably not a bad idea. Um, I think I saw he knocked down, I think at least three threes. So that's good. Again, somebody to keep the defense honest while Max A. Smith and Kevin O'Banner are doing their thing. Um, I, I watched the first part of this game and then I had a commitment to go to for a little bit. So I, they were up 10, I believe early in the game. And then I was at the commitment that I came out and then I saw that they lost by 10. Um, did anybody catch, did you guys catch that game? Yeah, I was in the middle of watching the Vikings game, which was not worth watching. So I did watch the, <laughs> the, the game. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, the biggest problem that it, from my perspective is they, Arkansas got out, out and running and yeah. they just don't have the athletes to keep they when they kept them in the half court it was pretty competitive but when our arkansas got out and running they just they had too many athletes and out rebounded them i think 59 to 25 or something like that yeah i was just really curious as to um how matt max Smith was guarded um like we've talked about before you know most of these power five schools don't want to dignify themselves with du- doubling or trapping or this or that or whatever my guess is they probably had like a six, four guard on Max A. Smith. And that's probably what took care of it. But, um, you know, yeah. it's the, they keep challenging themselves. They, they do okay at these, and in, in these power five games, you could tell, I mean, that top level talents there for all Roberts. Yeah. They, they, especially in the second half, Arkansas, basically for about the first 10 minutes, tried to not even let oral Roberts get the ball inside 25 feet from the basket. They really pressured the ball, doubled A. Smith, got it out of his hands. When he was making shots, it was, uh, 25 footers and, and he can make them. But as I said on Twitter, he leads the league in me going, Oh, what are you doing? And then going nice shot. But, uh, cause he can, man, he can bury him from way out there, but they made him get rid of the ball. And still it's that same thing. We probably talked about four times. O'Banner with just 12 shots. It, it f- felt prime for a game to find a way to get the ball into his hands. Cause they weren't letting Ace miss beat him. Mm-hmm. Well, you and you go back to Oral Roberts. Um, when you're playing a team like Arkansas, who really wants to get out and, and, and force you into quick shots and, and, and play a 94-foot game, that's my concern about Oral Roberts. Do they have the discipline to sit down and say, we're going to force you to defend us in the half court? You talked about being able to, you know, Arkansas's ability to keep or you on the perimeter, but sometimes you have to find a way. Do you run O'Banner into the high post, you know, to, to get inside that that defense to start forcing the opposition into some type of defensive rotation at times and allow somebody like Aismas to, to get freed up on the perimeter for a clean look. You know, he's one, one of six from behind the arc today. But uh, I, I think that's, that's still my question from ORU standpoint is their ability to attack you in the half court and force you to defend in the half court to take away your desire to get up and down the floor, you know, in, in a high-paced game. Uh, two things come, come to mind. I think Weaver... They're using him as a six-man off the bench. You know, he was four of seven overall, three of six from behind the arc. Um, had had decent production and probably as good a percentage as anybody outside of O'Banner. And uh, and and also Kareem Thompson seems to be 
developing as, as an offensive option. Not great numbers today, 5 of 14. But at the same time, one of those guys, 6'6", wing, a versatile player, can he become a consistent third option uh, you know, when you're looking at O'Banner and, and Aismas? So I think Oral Roberts' ability to, to force people to defend in the half court and actually play with some discipline in the half court offensively would behoove them extremely well and allow them to utilize their talent to be able to contend for a summer league championship this season. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that he took that Cream Thompson took 14 shots. I think that's a big development. We have to watch how he's playing. It seems to be that he's getting a little bit more and more comfortable every single game. I know that they're high on him. I know that he's a very talented guy. If he starts to become that type of guy that gets to 12 to 14 points, this team could look a little differently. I mean, because seriously, they're, I mean, uh, O'Banner and Aismas is going to be able to beat their guys straight up, so they're going to have to be given a lot of help. And if Cream Thompson, you know, if, if he's able to make teams pay, that changes, I think that definitely raises the ceiling, at least, of this Royal Roberts team. Well, and Glasper did a little bit today, too. Greg, back to your other point. In the first half, it was the best defensive intensity I'd seen in an Oral Roberts game that I'd watched. And Arkansas was really struggling, turning the ball over. Like Zach said, when, when he left, they were up 10 at, at half. And it just... It's when they face adversity is it when it feels like both things happen. They they just don't compete the same way on the defensive end, and that's when it's we're just going to go down and jack up a shot without running the offense. And and you'll see how fast it starts to fall apart. And granted, they were 19-point underdogs. Nobody was expecting them to beat Arkansas. But I do think people start to see something you could do with Oral Roberts is if you can harass them enough, they're going to get out of their – they're winning ways, so to speak. And, and I think what you're, I think what you're pointing out there, Todd, that's to me, that's kind of the crux of the season for all Roberts, because that's not necessarily something new. And that's exactly sort of what's been Oral Roberts downfall the last couple of years. And, and those things go hand in hand. Um, a bad shot is no different than a turnover. Uh, a bad shot you know, or a quick shot allows uh, other teams to get their transition offense going and, and puts you in a bad position defensively. When you can force teams to defend in the half court, and at the very least, even if you're not making a shot, you you force them to expend some energy on the defensive end, and you're not defending against runouts all the time. Um, seriously, a, a jacked-up 23-foot three-pointer after two passes is no different than a live ball turnover. And, right. and you play right into the, you know, and Arkansas is a perfect example. They want to go. They want to get out and go. And so, uh, you know, what you have to do, and, and this is one of the things that teams have to understand, and I, well, just my perspective, is that when things aren't going well, you still have to stay true to the fact that we have to make the opposition defend, force them into rotation situations, and still find a way to get high-quality shots. Quick shots, you know, that, you know, that well, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll take care of this. I'll knock down this 23-foot three-pointer and get us back into the game. Those are the things that you have to get away from, and that's going to be Coach Mills' challenge with this group is we are way too talented to put ourselves at, at a disadvantage of, of, of sprinting back defensively in transition and, and playing into the hands of teams that, that want to take advantage of you that way. So it comes down to your toughness and your, and your willingness to play disciplined on the offensive end and find a way to create high percentage shots, they've got offensive firepower. They've got guys like O'Banner, guys, you know, like even Ace Miss, if he takes it within, you know, a, a normal half-court attack, DeShang Weaver and, 
And obviously, Thompson and Glasper are starting to step up as well. They've got offensive options. They don't have to do it fast. They have to do it effectively, and that's something that right. until ORU does that consistently, they'll still be a team that we all scratch our head about. So I want to wrap up this week with one last thing that I just kind of thought about as we were talking. We're closing in on conference play, and I just had put on Twitter, you know, I'm so happy we have basketball back. At the same time, I'm sort of tired of the non-conference because it's so weird and so different, and it, it just doesn't feel the same. So I'm really excited for Summit League play to, to start. So I thought we could end the episode on talking about the top three teams that are projected to be the top three teams in the, in the Summit League. Oral Roberts, who we just talked about, South Dakota State, and um, North Dakota State. And I think what is fascinating is you've got two one very talented program in Oral Roberts, a, a team that we thought maybe would be a little bit down with some of their losses in North Dakota State, but we're seeing that the system seems to keep them going with even with replacements. And then the team that is the marquee favorite. I'm just really excited to watch all three of those teams compete against each other because they're so different. And maybe just end the episode talking a little bit about that and what you we've seen and what we might see with those three teams going forward and competing against each other. Well, I think, you know, so yeah, my, my top three teams would be SDSU, NDSU and Oral Roberts. And so for NDSU to me, I, I think figuring out how to be the best version of themselves with Sam Griesel at their point guard, you know, what, how does their offense look? I, I think, you know, continuing to be delivered, I think is good. But at the same time, you also need to create a little bit too. And is Sam Griesel at the point guard really the best version of themselves? You know, is it a, a situation where he just more or less gets the ball down the court and then they just kind of get in the half court and it doesn't really matter who's the point guard then? But just kind of figuring out how to best use them. And and he's another one like, like Inacho. He, he's, I think NDSU's at their best when he is the most aggressive. Um, so I'm really kind of watching just that development. I think that'll continue just to raise the ceiling of of, of their team this year and what they can expect. Um, and then for, for South Dakota state, it's just a lot about is keeping Douglas Wilson healthy. You know, if they, if they keep him healthy, there's very few questions there. Everything is crystal clear. Everything is pretty well laid out for them. They understand exactly what they need to do. The roles fit their players perfectly. And so it's just about putting it all together. It's not always that simple, even though it looks clear, crystal clear to us, they still have to do it. And don't take that for granted because it's harder than it looks. It's harder to be the hunted than it is to be the hunter. And, and that's something a little bit new for them, you know, particularly this year because they were a little young last year. Um, so that'll be interesting. And when it comes to Oral Roberts, just like we talked about, you know, what happens when things don't go according to plan? What happens when they face adversity? And can they get that third or fourth score? If they answer those questions, which they absolutely can, um, they they may be the team to beat. We'll see. Yeah, I'm just so ready to watch those teams compete against each other. That's going to be so much fun to watch. Yeah, I just feel like there's been so much buildup and, and intrigue and all of us talking right. about it, things like that. I mean, it's just going to be it's going to be a lot of fun to see it play out. Yeah. Yeah, it will be. I'm not going to add too much. Um, we've we've beat ORU to death. Uh, we know they're exceptionally talented and, and can they gain some consistency. South Dakota State. Um, you know, you brought on, you know, you talked about Wilson. I, I think if you're Eric Henderson, you have to kind of have in your mind, 
hey, we've just got to go out and prepare whether we have him or whether we don't and and try not to be two completely different teams. I think the the steadiness of, of Shireman, Friedel, and Arians is a huge, huge, huge advantage for South Dakota State. They are they are really good. And uh, they're, they're so – all three of them are good at facilitating, good at scoring when you need them to, and just making great decisions. So North Dakota State, uh, again, I, I like – what their potential is um, they can they can go you know with uh, with cruiser inside and, and against usd or um, even und i should say in the, in the final game of the Dakota showcase he really struggled finishing around the rim but it always kept his head up and had a big putback late in the game and and still is going to be a, a really important part of what north dakota state is able to accomplish and then i i, I think you continue to watch the development of some of the young players uh, I think of Malik Harden Hayes. He played last year, but I think his role continues to to expand as he becomes more and more confident. He's demonstrated the ability to shoot from behind the arc, but I just love his his get after it mentality on the defensive end and on the offensive and defensive glass. I think he can be an impactful player for North Dakota State. I think that's that's what they're continuing to do is develop their versatility because we've watched them. And sometimes we say, well, they're playing small now if Cruiser's off the floor. Well, they might be playing small with a with a 6'7 Harden Hayes, a 6'5 Edie, a 6'5 Greasel, you know, a 6'6 a six, six No Tech, and, and then maybe a, a, another wing like a Jarius Cook. There's, they still have pretty decent length. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things that I was happy to see towards the end of the, the Dakota Showcase is Jarius Cook is starting to make some more mature decisions on the floor and become more of a threat, not just with his ability to shoot the ball because he hasn't shot it great, but he's is he's picking and choosing his spots to attack off of ball movement, off of player movement and making his teammates better. So I think NDSU is going to be one of those teams, even though they have a core of experienced players, it'll be interesting to watch how some of these young players continue to develop. Uh, they're they're going to be a factor without question. And I, and I think Dave Richmond will do a good job with them. All right. Well, that's probably a little bit of a preview as to what next week will look like. Uh, there's not a ton of on the court action as I was looking at the upcoming schedule. So we will be closing in on conference play as we record next week. And that will be probably our biggest topic of conversation is where do we see teams at now that uh, we've had a, a month or so to start watching teams play basketball. At, with that, we'll wrap up this week's episode and I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks, Todd. Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah, Merry Christmas, everybody. Absolutely. Merry Christmas. Take care. Talk soon.